Episode of your average operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. How you're doing out there in podcast land? We uh, we really appreciate you guys stopping by and, and spending a bit of time with us once a week. These things normally pump out on a Thursday, and honestly, we really look forward to just getting together and and talking for our own benefit. We get we get a lot out of it, and we we always appreciate the feedback. Anyway, uh, Mike, how you doing, man? It is ten fifty five. In the PM. East Coast time, we were supposed to kick off 25 minutes ago. Oh, wow. What, what happened? I don't know. I thought there was pretty clear communication on our end. We're, we're very uh, active in our text thread about, hey, what time, show times, and Zulu time, since we're, you know, Pacific time, East Coast time, and then Saudi time. It's 10 hours difference. So we always got to make it a really good effort to pan it out and be sure. Now, there's three of us. Mellon was on time. Um, I was on time. Oh, shit, that leaves one dude. <laughs> Raph, who was it? Who fucked it away? All right. So, do do I have this? Do I have the the table now? Can I can I start talking on my? No, you can't. Or am I going to get cut off? It's just it's a new thing, you know, Ben. This All whole right. time, timing military code. That's obvious this time. If I could be completely honest. I, I was a little exhausted today from carrying the show almost this entire year we've been doing the show. And so I kind of slept in. If you, that's the God honest truth. I failed you because I was tired from carrying this goddamn show. And, uh, and so that was the result. I slept in 25 extra minutes. I needed the power nap because I knew that I had to carry you again, Mike. Are you that's, that's it. That's not an excuse. It's just <laughs> the truth. It, it is what it is. So Raph's audio is cutting out, but I, I don't think it's the Wi-Fi. I think it's his attitude, and he's just trying to sound stupid. But <laughs> I think I'm going to give Raph the rope, and he's he's just going to take care of himself here. Uh, yeah, you got nothing on me today, buddy. So that's that. Uh, other than that, it's uh, not a bad day. Start of a new week, getting off, and uh, just a lot going on in the world been paying attention to that probably more time than I should throughout my day but with work and everything else it's kind of tied in all the time so there's always a discussion but uh, still stand on task discipline gym getting the things done you know staying on there I can't let myself slide so other than that pretty good melon yeah, yeah how about yourself well in between all the bad news you know like those I sent you guys a little video last night of uh, Annie on the drums and Cherry singing with Annie's, Annie's drum teacher playing guitar. That was so awesome. It's not all bad. It's not all bad, you know. We can find happy times. I just, you know, people ask me how I am. That's how I am, you know. I get to come home and sit and, and have that sort of those happy family moments in the lounge room, you know. I'll eat my dinner, look over there and just watch my two girls making beautiful music. Yeah. But uh, busy, busy and getting after it, you know, as much as possible. How about you, Raf? So I've just been relaxing um, the last, really the last couple of weeks. Uh, we went snowboarding a couple of days ago. We're going to go snowboarding again tomorrow because the conditions should be pretty good. 
we're just trying to take advantage of the fact that uh, I've got a good amount of time off um, waiting for some uh, between flights. So just taking advantage of it. So nothing too crazy. Just trying to, you know, exp we had a date night last night, which was pretty fun, uh, OBS and I. And uh, just kind of, yeah, man, just, just trying to like, you know, if nothing else, I think what's going on right now is just putting everything into perspective, which is you just, you know, enjoy the good times when you can make them carve out the time, get them in because you have no idea what the hell is around the corner. Like you really don't. That is a hundred percent. Just before this all happened, you know, I had a, a close friend having a, you know, an unwanted health issue in, 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 a, in a couple and, it's just none of us, none of us know, you know, that that phone call or that news story or that doctor's diagnosis is just around the corner for all of us, really. Someone we know. Oh, yeah. And 100%, Raf, you know, enjoying what you have when you have it and putting everything into perspective. If, you, if you're not getting some perspective out of the events in Ukraine, which is what we're referring to here, if you're not having a, a bit of a thought about what it is that the West and the liberal dem democratic values that we, we live under, how that's contrasted by alternate forms and what life could be like or what it was like, you know, until the rise of the West and pre-1900. It's just, we probably live in a society that's a little bit um, too focused on what we don't have. The, you know, the 0.001% that's missing. And, uh, you know, we're comparing ourselves to the Kardashians or some other freaking group rather than just really, really being aware of what we do have. And uh, yeah, I, I guess that sort of probably brings us to the, the thing that we've been talking about when we've been talking and the topic we just were like, we just have to talk about this today is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's, it's on the news. It's, you know, if, if, if people are not aware where it is, I strongly suggest that you get a bit of Wikipedia time some time on Google Maps and educate yourself because this is a significant turning point. Like I made my kids sit and watch the news on the 24th. I said, I remember when I was in school, I was about Michael's age when the Berlin Wall came down and my, my school teacher brought in the newspaper cover and read it out to us and was like, you boys all need to remember today. This is a historic day. The world has just changed. And that's what happened on the 24th of February where an invasion, tank columns, air support, artillery into Europe for the first time on that scale since 45. So the world has just shifted and um, it bears talking about. Yeah, I, Melon, <clears throat> you said that moment in history that, you know, hey, you need to see this, you need to experience this and understand it. That was me in eighth grade in my history class with my teacher I talked about previously, Mr. Huzar, and all the teachers were coming around like, turn this off, turn this off. They don't need to see this, blah, 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 and everything. And he was like, flicked it back on. He's like, no, they need to watch this. This is history. They need to understand what just happened because it's going to affect them in the rest of their life, you know? And it, I mean, it sure did for me. And I know quite a other handful of people you know that went on and had, had a direct effect in the war on terror but i think it's very important to explain to uh, children the 
you know, why war happens and big events and all this other stuff that goes and maybe not show them some of the graphic stuff, which I don't agree with, which is getting thrown around Facebook, you know, for, for likes and all this shit. Uh, but understanding the concept and, and like why things happen, why war happens and what it means to the rest of the world, you know, what it means to democracies or, um, you know, totalitarian, totalitarian leaders, you know, whatever. So I hear you there. So I had a bit of a, you know, a bit of time reading some of the, the recent history of Ukraine. They were um, an independent country and they had a similar uh, uprising with a with a Bolshevik uprising in 1916 in Russia to overthrow the Russian Tsar. There was a movement in in Ukraine as well, and uh, there was a bit of a dispute among the early Soviets about whether they were going to have a gigantic Russia that was going to take in all of the what we know as those Soviet states. And they the Ukrainian fight, fighters were so fiercely independent that they ended up agreeing that there was going to be a separate country, the Ukraine. Soviet Socialist Republic. And so there's been some recent statements by Putin that the Soviet Union created Ukraine. That's actually, it looks like it was the other way around. There would have been a gigantic Russia if it were not for how strongly independent Ukraine was. And the Ukraine uh, Socialist Republic caused them to make the USSR. And that was why they went with that system. And so the Ukraine um, was outside Stalin's control in those early days. And there was, they nationalized the farming system. So you get a bunch of uh, pencil pushers in Moscow telling all the farmers what they should do. And so inevitably that's a disaster everywhere that's tried around the world. So they had a massive famine for about five years in the early twenties. Then they started the collective farming and any, any failure was always interpreted by Stalin as a political attempt on him, like a direct attack on him. So he really punished the Ukraine for a period. And they had in 32, 1932, they had the biggest uh, crop failure and famine and they had 3.9 million people die. And until that moment in history, that was the worst single uh, sort of a human atrocity that had been caused by this mismanagement. And it was exacerbated. They put beggars, like the farmers weren't allowed to go into the cities and Ukrainians weren't allowed to leave the Ukraine border. So that was... This was all then overshadowed in uh, World War II. So people don't really know. So I didn't know. So I had a bit of, bit of a read. So 3.9 3 million Ukrainians died under the Soviet uh, famine in 1932-33. And then uh, that has led to the massive strong ill will the Ukrainians have held against the Russians basically ever since. 91, the Soviet Union fails and uh, falls apart. And they got independence and they had a terrible time trying to get their market economy going again. So about eight years of recession. And then they were hit pretty hard in the GFC. And it must be said that they pretty much had Soviet era um, cronyism and uh, you know corruption that just stuck around in there until probably 2010 or so. And then they started to have some really strong political moves. And they elected Zelensky in 19 after uh, the previous guy had started talking to the EU and moving a bit west, there'd been a bit of an uprising and he fled and went to Moscow. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it benefits everyone probably to have a bit of a read because it's a massive country. It's bigger than France, 40 million people, massive producer of wheat. They've got uh, oil reserves. They make 
uh, a lot of sunflowers, by the way, which I've seen a woman curse some Russian soldiers out on the street corner, telling them that they should uh, get out of her country and that they should put sunflower seeds in their pockets so that when they die, they'll push up sunflowers. I mean, some, there's some brave women and men in Ukraine right now. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's a good way to kind of go into what we're going to talk about today. So, man, I know this is a very touchy subject and very, you know, it can invoke a lot of emotion uh, to what we see going on with, uh, you know, some of these, some of these little children, you know, an, an underground NICU, you know, and just seeing that anytime there's war, there's always innocent civilians that pay. It's the unfortunate side of war. But, uh, you know, as I'm sure everybody sees on, on the news, it's, it's all about politics and who would have been better and this and that. And it's just, it's the wrong, fo- you know, it's the wrong focus because, you know, Melon and I talked this morning, uh, and then we talked a little bit early, uh, later on, the three of us, and we were just talking about different things. And we really want to focus today on the on the human side of things. Some of the amazing stories that are coming out of Ukraine, and then also like what they mean, what they should mean to us in the West. Uh, kind of put ourselves in check and be like, <laughs> what should I be grateful for today? What should I be grateful for, for growing up here, being born in this country, you know, whatever. It's, uh, it's definitely worth the discussion. So I think the three of us, we're going to bring up some examples and some great stories that have been coming out. Uh, ones of heroism, selflessness, um, patriotism, and, uh, you know, a few others. And then also talk about maybe some things to think about here at home, meaning in the West, about what's going on over there and how we should kind of redirect ourselves uh, to be better people, you know, so no politics. Um, it might come into it a little bit, but I don't give a shit about talking about Fox news or CNN or Biden or Trump or anything else. Like, I don't care. There's people on the ground that are in the fight right now while I'm sitting here behind my computer, drinking my coffee, relaxing, talking to my two best friends. Uh, there's people that are getting after it right now. Bombs are being dropped like atrocities are happening and uh, there's got to be positives that come from it in order for the world to walk away, not broken. So we could maybe, we could maybe talk about two of the uh, politicians that have certainly drawn a lot of admiration and attention being president Zelensky, which is the president of Ukraine and the Klitschko brothers who are both former heavyweight world champion boxers and uh, Vitaly is the current mayor of Kiev. Now, these three individuals were not military men and uh, have all been walking a, a, a tightrope like the rest of the Ukraine over the last five to 10 years after the uh, Russian annexation of Crimea and, in 2014. And that they took the eastern regions of Luhansk and Donetsk in the same time. It was immediately after the Sochi Olympics, for those who I remember that in 2014, January, February, immediately after that, uh, Putin took action in Crimea and, and the east border of Ukraine. So the Klitschko brothers, Vitaly is the current mayor of Kiev. And Zelensky uh, came out of actually an acting role. He was a, a, a TV comedian actor. His, 
he's a, a Jewish uh, individual. He, he had many uncles and aunts killed during the Holocaust after the Nazi occupation of Ukraine. He had a grandfather who fought in the Red Army against the Russians. And uh, he's a, he was a comedian and he was acting on a TV show, which was a spoof, like a comedy. And he was a, he was a Ukrainian president in that TV show. And he then ran on a full independent platform and he got a massive, like 67% or so of the vote and won a massive majority. Uh, and, you know, and this guy has massively stepped up. So this is a person who was offered the option to uh, evacuate the country by both the US and the UK. And his reply to the US offer was, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And you might've seen him on the TV, on the news, giving reports from famous landmarks around Kiev to you know short videos going out on social media to let his people know that he's there with them. He's in camo uh, jacket and t-shirt, there's footage of him in trenches, drinking a coffee out of a canteen, military canteen, an army canteen with his men. And uh, the Klitschko brothers are out handing out rifles um, and, and taking, like, taking it to the, the enemy. And they, these, these three people are sort of people that I want to talk about. You know, like these are normal people who've led normal lives, have not asked for any of this, and they're not leaving, and they have the resources to go, and they've been offered safe safe travel and you've got to think about yourself what would you do in that position you know you've been offered option to get out of a war zone with your family and you could take it and you know we all saw what happened in afghanistan when the president did that i mean it's a massively demoralizing thing to see the leader leave so there's three yeah that's <clears throat> that's a big tactic so everybody knows putin's history he's a kgb former kgb guy his whole career pretty much so very much into the psyop side of it and, and trying to convince you to do something by doing an action or influencing you to think that it's true. Uh, so one of the things that he's done, which makes this a better story, okay? So Russian Spetsnaz are out there, which is Russian special forces and basically kill teams that are looking for Zelensky and a lot of the, you know, we'll call it a deck of cards, like, you know, the West had against in Iraq when we went into there, there was a deck of cards of all the leaders that we wanted out. This list was released for two reasons. One, they wanted to know that, hey, you're targeted and we're coming after you. They wanted them to either flee the country, run away because in fear of being killed. And then basically the Ukrainian people would see their political leaders and everybody else leave and go, wow, they abandoned us and then just give up. Right. So that was one angle. The other side of it was, hey, they want to just be in fear knowing that, hey, we're coming after you. What's transpired is Zelensky came out and admitted, he's like, yes, I know I'm targeted. They've designated me number one, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with my people, and I'm fighting. Uh, that to me, man, that jacked me up. I mean, they were like, hey, anybody taking volunteers? And like, yeah, I know I can't go and rules and all that stuff. I'm not saying I'm going <laughs> or anything, but like, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a warrior culture and I'm very patriotic and on a human level, he, you know, they're like, if anybody wants to come and fight on behalf of Ukraine for this unjust invasion, there will be a rifle, a helmet, goggles and body armor waiting for you. And I was like, damn, I, I just want to take leave for like 29 days. 
and, and go go get some or something. Like I would fight for a guy like that, man. Uh, that's a leader. That is a leader leading from the front and would never ask you to do something he's not willing to do. We've talked about that in styles of leadership. Go ahead, Melon. Like symbolism is super important, you know. In the West, probably there's a lot of people who don't understand where Ukraine is, what's the relationship between them and Russia, what's Putin doing. So a guy like Zelensky who says, no, I'm not going to leave, you know, send me ammunition. I don't need a ride. He's out, you know, short snapshot in front of a Kiev uh, famous building. And clearly then they've obviously done a runner because the Russians are reading this same news, you know, and sending teams in to get him. And the same with the Klitschko brothers. Like this stuff captures the imagination and, and <clears throat> causes people to listen. So the symbology of this stuff is super important. It's similar to wartime leader like Churchill making his famous speeches about we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them on the shores, and we'll never, never, never surrender. So this guy has, has caught the imagination. <clears throat> he has unified the EU in a way that it was not possible. NATO is, people might not know Ukraine is not part of NATO. So NATO has uh, the Article 5 agreement where an attack on one is an attack on all. So any member of NATO is attacked and everyone will respond. And so the NATO countries are largely very safe. Ukraine was talking about possibly trying to get into the EU and NATO, and this is why Putin has moved in. Now, Zelensky has unified the EU. The EU in the last 36 hours has passed a first time ever sending military aid outside their borders. Sweden, which is a neutral country in the far north of Europe, has for the first time since 1939 sent military aid. They're a neutral country. They've sent military aid to the Ukraine. The last time they did this was 1939 when the USSR invaded Finland. So it's historic stuff. Switzerland has agreed to send um, financial support, another you know neutral country. So this leadership that the, these men are demonstrating, these leaders at, at risk to their own life. And maybe, you know, you should think possibly these people are not going to survive the conflict. But the symbolism is super important and, they do, and they're sacrificing themselves in a way that is causing hundreds of thousands of millions of people out in the streets in those Western countries and is going to lead directly to the flow of military aid in to support the Ukrainian fighters in this massively one-sided fight. Right. You know, there's a, I, there's a picture of them out there and it was so cool because when you have leadership like this, you just know is never going to give up on you or the mission or what they said that they were going to do. There was a picture of an 80 year old man at a Ukrainian recruitment center of, you know, anybody that wants to come in and fight. Uh, I think the, I think the government said any, any fighting age male, 18 to 60 years old, was required to stay in Ukraine and fight. Uh, and there was a great story that came out of there about uh, a military male, age male, and his children, and what she did, which we'll get to in a minute. That was that's amazing. But uh, this 80 year old man showed up with his little bag, had a couple. They said he had a couple pairs of extra clothes, some sandwiches, and his toothbrush. And he showed up and said, hey, I'm here to fight. And they asked why. And he goes, I'm here for my grandkids. You know, man. fully confident, an 80-year-old man just there. I mean, we talk about stoicism and meaning and selflessness. And wow, 
that's my absolute favorite from this whole thing is that little old man showing up and saying, I'm here to fight for my grandchildren. And this is a guy who lived through the USSR. Yes. So this is an 80-year-old man who, you know, so we're talking born in, what's that, 42. So he's a young man living through the full Soviet occupation. In his 40s, he saw his country have another chance. In his 50s, free market and freedom. I saw the same photo, you know. Yeah. Uh, the other side of that, you know, what I, what I referenced was, so there was, there was a military-aged male that was staying, and he had his two children. He was making his way to a port to be able to turn his kids over, and the mother was in Italy, I believe. So he could only go so far. He got to a point where he had to give up his children so he could return to go back for military service and go fight. He, he found a random man, never knew him, never met him, gave him a phone number of his wife and said, please take my children and make sure they get across the border to, I, I believe, Poland and please get them to their mother. And he had to turn around and walk away from his children and go back. But he, he went back. He didn't try to hide. His country was like, hey, I need you to come back and fight. And he's like, I'm going to fight for my children. This is what I need to do. And uh, actually, I, I saw it today. There's pictures of these children. A reporter followed them, and the children made it to their mother. But the father's in Ukraine fighting. And I just thought that was such an amazing example of trust in humanity at the human level. Like, I don't know too many people that would do that. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever need to do it, right? I, or I wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, these are des these are desperate times, you know. And I mean that that audio you're talking about there, Zelensky passed a law saying no 18 to 60 year old men are allowed to leave the country. I mean that's some serious stuff, right? Like you're thinking about that's that's like an older son, that's young grandfather's. It's a, it's, a, it's a desperate struggle, right? And they're distributing weapons. They've got um, military trucks around uh, different locations. I've seen footage of them breaking open crates of, like you all see in every war movie, those green boxes of uh, rifles. Inside them are rifles, and they're, they're literally just handing them out. There's no writing down names or signing for anything. They're literally just breaking out the, the firearms and distributing them to people, and people are all there in, in well-ordered, coming in, collecting their rifle and grabbing a helmet and, you know, going off in groups. And it's, that's the level we're at. And these people are, are fighting for the homeland. One of the um, observations I was, I had a read of a really good article by uh, the Estonian defense minister. It was on a, a website. And he was saying that the, the real threat here has never been a democratic invasion. Like NATO has never really been ever interested in invading Russia. The story in Russia is that they are, they're after us, they're after our oil, they're after our resources and so on. And that helps keep that uh, leader in power, which is what Stalin did all the way through. You need an external threat. But what the actual threat is, is the threat to Putin himself, the success of these former Soviet countries. When they see uh, democracy, when they see uh, financial success and standard of living going up and education and, and opportunity, and, you know, these people in these former Soviet states 
if that if that leader's doing a terrible job, they vote him out. You know, boom, four years later, he's gone. Mm-hmm. So then the people in Russia watching that across the border are going to start to want that. And that is the threat to Putin that has caused him to go into Ukraine. Make no, de- make no doubt about it. The, the threat to Putin is the success of those former Soviet states leading to a popular uprising against him where people want to have that themselves. And that is why he's gone into Ukraine. Go ahead, Mike. No, I agree with you. Um, that's, the, that's the difference when we're talking about the West and places like Russia and China. So, you know, for United States, every four years, we have the presidential election and new president comes in, new vision. Hey, I'm changing everything on day one, right? And, and that's, that's our outlook is our, our long term is four years. For Putin, he's been in office over there for 25, 30 years now. Um, they're not thinking four years down the road. They're thinking 20, 30 years down the road, next generation, what's Russia going to look like? Uh, and it's long term. China's doing the exact same thing. A lot of people look back at China and they're saying, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they're like, you're not allowed to have a daughter. You're only allowed to have sons. Why? Well, they wanted to build up the workforce. Why did they want to build up the workforce? Well, so they can go boom in the technology industry and take over that side of it, cyber warfare, all that other stuff, because they want to build a bigger economy and their long-term generational goal, which is I think until 2039 is their end of the window until their population starts decreasing because they didn't have enough females, uh, is to overtake the power uh, the economic power leader of the world, put sanctions on the West and basically take over that way. Like that's their long-term goal. Uh, Russia, you know, it, Putin's kind of a wild card because I don't think that a lot of Russia wants this war. There's a lot of people on day two protesting in Moscow. And I read a report that over 2000 people just in that day uh, went to the old gulag or uh, Russian prison because they were protesting against him. So uh, just two different it's, types, two different outlooks. It takes massive balls to protest in Russia. Yeah. I mean, to, get, to get anyone out in the street in Russia, that's, that's some people with some moral conviction who, who know what they're getting themselves in for the moment that they leave their house. You know? Yeah. I mean, they've, yeah. they've not left the milk out when they've gone out to protest. They've made some phone calls, let people know, organized their affairs and gone out. What do you got, Raph? You're kind of quiet since well, you were late. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly my connection. I, it's terrible. But um, yeah, I've been watching the same uh, like short videos uh, on some of the social media, but I've been reading a lot of the reports on what's been going on. Obviously, the stiff resistance from the Ukraine. And, yeah, you know, um, I reached out to a friend of ours uh, and I'll leave her nameless, but um, I think Mike, you might've met her. She was married to one of the pilots. Uh, when we were in Afghanistan and I just reached out to her because I knew that her family, at least some of her family was in Ukraine and clearly she's upset about it. Uh, she still has a pretty close cousin of theirs that's still in Ukraine. Um, I, I, I didn't ask if her cousin was trying to find a way out or what she was, it, it is a woman, a young, a young woman. So um, anyways, it, and I was tempted to bring her on because I mean, we were going to talk about this, but it, it's such a, it's such a visible wound right now. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if just talking about it, because 
I mean, I'm not even involved. I'm clearly, I'm just a washed up Blackhawk pilot now, but I still have the urge, kind of like you, Mike, I have the urge to actually go there and fight. And I know it's a huge, it would be a massive sacrifice for me because clearly I'd be leaving my family behind. But um, I just, you know, just to see this invasion, there's just something about, there's something about it that just touches, like you said, that something inside of us, if you're human, you should be pissed. You should be angry. You should understand that what Putin is doing is absolutely egregious towards not just democracy. You know, a lot of, a lot of politicians like to throw that word out there, but it's just through humanity. I mean, the Ukrainian people are their own people. And for him to just kind of have the, the gall to say, well, I want you to be part of Russia, you know, whatever the glory days were in his head. I mean, it's just absolutely insanity, right? That's the way any rational human being would see it. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that I'm, you know, I feel helpless because I'm watching everything from from a distance, from a from a telly, from a video, and I know that in you know I still have the capability to do something uh, to provide some form of support for the patriots on the ground there. And I genuinely just pray for them. Like I sincerely pray that Ukraine will stand their ground and, and, and fight the Russians off, you know? And, and I don't hate Russians. I don't think any of us hate Russians. I've, had, I've served with plenty of people that were from Russia, um, but I think a lot of the times, you know, governments don't really represent the people. And I think this is one of those clear representations where Putin does not represent what the heart of his country men and women really want. You know, everybody wants peace, man. Nobody wants war. You know, we've said this before on the show, you know, even when you win in war, you, you don't really win. You know, your soldiers come back scarred, families are broken. You lost friends, close friends there, you know, to the enemy because they get a vote, as we like to say. So and it's kind of emotional, man. I mean, I just but mostly for me, it's a sense of desperation because I really wish that there's something that I could do other than just send prayers or just think about them. Right. Because I think of like our friend um, and her family there. And I just think, you know, I, I still have some capability and I, to a certain degree, part of me wishes that we could do more, but I know that it's a really ritual, uh, really, really fragile uh, game of chess where there's, you know, we know that there's a nuclear arsenal that uh, is at the fingertips of Putin. And um, so, how, you know, how do you, I mean, how do you keep moving forward and stopping him without, kind of putting him in a corner, so to speak, and then he's making that irrational decision to, to start using nukes, you know, because then, I mean, Jesus, that's, that's, that's something I don't even want to think about, but we know that that's somewhere on the table, whether it's, you know, a big piece on the table or a small piece, I don't know, but it's on the table and it's something you have to consider. So it's tough, man. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on Ukraine, uh, like I said, I only have a couple friends from Ukraine and a couple friends from Iran. Um, and I don't think that what Putin is doing represents the people that I know by any, like not even a stretch. Yeah, uh, Raf, I don't, I don't think it, I mean, none of so, us are experts on Ukraine, but I think it's, we're, we're experts at being human beings and we have emotions and feelings. And when you see, you know, it, it's kind of like somebody restraining me and, and sitting there and watching somebody beat a child across the street. And I'm and I'm I'm like, yeah, that's not my child, but you don't do that. You don't do that to, to kids. And you just want to break out of those damn chains and go over there and, and stop them. You know, it's not like, oh, well, they're they're white, they're Jewish like, or anything. It has nothing to do with it. It's like you're beating an innocent child that, you know, whatever. 
I need to stop it. Like that's the urge that I feel of just, it's, it's just evil. It's just straight, pure evil. You know, it's tough, man. If I could just add another two cents to that, something that I immediately thought to myself when he actually went in for the, you know, when he actually pushed forward and crossed the border for the invasion, I thought to myself, you know, if the world, if our world leaders, which I think, and again, I'm not going to go down the political road, but I, but I think that if they really were like true leaders that espoused like real manhood qualities, kind of like, you know, when we were reading uh, that book, um, Tender Warrior, I think that you wouldn't have stuff like this. Like you wouldn't have Putin, you know, kind of so brazenly just be like, you guys aren't going to do anything. I'm just going to go in and I'm going to literally invade this country. You know, if, if there were legitimate leaders that, that were strong, and I, and I don't mean like war hungry, I'm not looking for a war hungry leader, but someone who legitimately is, you know, like you said, is, is, a, is a full-fledged warrior, but he loves to be a gardener. But you know not to mess with him because you know that in the flip of a switch, he could literally murder you. That's what we're missing. And so these, these weak leaders that we have, um, have created these really tough times. It's like we said, you know, strong men create great, good times, good times create weak men, weak men create tough times. And I think, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. I mean, I think if you look around just across the board, not just even holding our leaders accountable, but just men in general, we've been really weak for a couple of generations now, you know, um, which is why divorce rate is, divorce rate is up, why all these you know, crimes are going up and, you know, just, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. Um, again, I always, I always kind of come back to the, to the failure of, of men. I mean, literally when men are weak, things like this happen. We, we don't keep each other in check. Yeah, Melon. Looking forward now, I'm, when the threats of the invasion were sort of in the air and then when they crossed the border <clears throat> and there seemed to be like a reluctance to really take strong action. Now we've touched on the brinkmanship aspect of this, where you are, you're not dealing with a ragtag group of people up in the mountain. You're dealing with a guy with, you know, the nuclear arsenal is, is there. And so that has to be, people have to be aware of that. You can't, you can't take uh, unilateral action against, Russia, you can't have NATO troops fighting Russian troops because the escalation option is going to be on the table very quickly. So the brinkmanship aspect has to be we need leaders who can stand on the edge, right on the edge with steely-eyed and stare at him and have the wisdom to know exactly how far they can push when a threat is an empty threat and when it is a real threat. And this is this is one of those times. Now, I didn't think that there was going to be an adequate response. I sort of thought Putin's going to roll through Ukraine and there's going to be these former Soviet republics are all going to get gobbled up real fast. But even just these few days of delay and getting bogged down and the stiff resistance and people, I didn't really know anything about Zelensky beforehand. I knew about the Klitschko brothers, but I didn't know anything about Zelensky. Speaking up and stepping up into a moment and creating a sense of, like there's a historic turning point occurring has caused all the de democracies in the West to take action that I, I didn't think that they were going to do. I didn't think they were going to do this swift banking access. So the sanctions that they've taken against Russia, like the Russians over the last 
five years have built up 650 billion US in international currency reserves. So basically sanctions against the country make that country's money not worth anything because you, you know, if you've got Russian rubles, you can't buy anything when there's sanctions. So therefore people offload their rubles. So then the ruble will plummet in value and you're going to have runaway inflation and so on inside the country, which we've seen in you know, many failed states. And so the Russians have built up a $650 billion reserve to be able to buy those rubles when people offload them. And that was, that was basically their big plan. Now the swift banking freeze out followed by there's also been a freeze on all trade with Russian banks basically means that they're not able to use this war chest. And so this is an option. I didn't think, I didn't think any, I didn't even know that this option existed. It's so severe. So in the 24 hours until I went to bed last night, the ruble had dropped 30%. And the the Russian interest rates had gone from nine and a half to 20%, like just immediately. So these these sanctions are things that have never occurred before. The unity in the EU, the immediate um, like they're making major changes. Germany has just increased its defence spending to 2% GDP. They're talking about a $100 billion defence budget out of Germany, which is like the sleeping giant of, of Europe, right? It's the biggest economy there. And they've just been on like a, I think with their maybe a PTSD sort of thing from World War II, where they're like, we don't really want to have a big defence. Things have changed and it's rapid. And it could it could be that this turning point could be the one we're all hoping for, which is like a unity that we haven't had. I mean, all of that to say, basically, that um, Western unity is something to come out of this that we haven't had probably for a generation. But you could have these, I mean, everybody now wants a membership in NATO. Like everybody wants to have that Article 5 protection. Can we, can we get through this without the massive escalation? Like I'm hoping that our leaders have wisdom to know where that line is and they have that steely reserve to push right up as far as they have to go. And it could be that this is the end for Putin if there's a massive failure here. Lots of body bags going home, a protracted engagement, economic damage. You know, there's hope. There's hope is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But um, Mike, maybe you want to talk about options that you're seeing here and, and positive takeaways. Yeah, so switching switching away from that, this better give the West some perspective. So Ukraine, I wouldn't say, is a first world country. It's not on par with like the United States, Australia, Great Britain, like that sort of side, but it's damn close. They have technology. They have uh, a pretty upgraded military. Uh, they have they had a great economy. You know, there, there's a lot there. So this is what a conventional war looks like in these times so when we went into afghanistan and iraq those were third world countries totally different right you're going into places that have full-on hospitals uh schools like every day like we have in the united states and australia right they're going out to the club at night they're everything's damn close and imagine waking up you're going out to your car getting ready to go to your job just like every other day and two russian su-27 fighter jets come flying over and slam a missile right into the building or apartment complex right next to you you know where where is your mind gonna go what are you gonna do how like i don't think in the united states we have to worry about that there's a lot of strategic there there's 
positioning, you know, back in World War II, I believe is the Admiral. I want to, I don't know if it was Yamamoto that said it, but he said we could never do a land invasion of the United States because we would have Americans with weapons behind every blade of grass. And there was, there'd be no way we could beat them on their own land. Right. So I don't think we would have to worry about that. Personally, I don't think they could do that unless they hit us with a massive cyber hit uh, EMP and took out our defense systems. And then they just rolled straight over from China or came down from uh, Alaska and Northern and just came in and we were just completely blind. That's the only way I think that could happen, but that's probably very, very, very unlikely. Um, but it was, it's been making me think differently watching this stuff. Uh, I sent Mellon a link. Well, I sent Matt Raffin Mellon a link where there's live footage coming through straight from the ground. That's unedited, unfiltered. And there's some really raw shit, um, that shouldn't be on Facebook or being shared around for everybody just tossed around. Um, war is, is terrible. War should be respected from three guys that have been to war. It is not something to be glorified. It is not something to make fucking memes about, about being funny when there's children being killed and you see like that guy turning over his children, maybe never see him again and give them to a stranger and they're going off and we're sitting here comfortably in our shit, right? Making jokes about it, making memes. Um, you know, I'll catch flack for this. I don't really care, but grow the fuck up. That's what we're talking about being men and being, uh, human beings and having a respect educate yourself educate yourself spend a bit of time like take the time because understanding is necessary before you're going to experience empathy you know and you need to experience empathy here you know these are these are good good people these are normal human beings who have got freaking tanks trying to get into their capital city yeah I mean, their, their life is ending. Life as they know it is, is already destroyed. Even if the war ended right now, they're going to be rebuilding and putting things back together for years. It's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And from a warrior's perspective, from, from, a, you know, from that side of it, Raf said, we, we wish for peace. And we had peace for just a slight, a slight minute, right? And then he pulled this shit. And, and then it's just like stirring the hornet's nest all up again. And you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's going to happen, but we need to be prepared. But my perspective, you know, just sharing is, is, is crazy, man. Like I, wa- I went to work today and I'm just thinking like, man, can you imagine tanks rolling down the road, aircraft going over conventional high tech shit going on in my hometown that I never thought would happen. Ukraine probably never thought this would happen. He probably, they, I, I'm pretty sure everybody thought Putin was bluffing until the negotiations went bad. Then he's like, well, the hell with it. I'm going. Uh, The humanity and empathy is lacking. I know there's a lot of people that do feel it. We sharing these stories. There's people in their response of just, it, it, it clicks in them. They get it. But these people that just aren't acknowledging it the way it is, you know, I called out, I made a post about it and I called out guys like LeBron James. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit about that guy. Um, he, he plays a sport and he's a loudmouth, and 
you know, he thinks he knows what he's talking about and he can just walk off the court and, and there's 30 seconds left and the game's not even over and he quits. If the war came to the United States, I, I don't care. I said guys like him would never fight. He wouldn't be like Zelensky. He wouldn't be like Vitaly, you know, Klitschko brothers or anything like that. Uh, he would he would not fight. And I don't nobody can convince me different. Um, there's no empathy there. There's no selflessness. There's no sense of pride, patriotism bigger than yourself. Uh, it's just really bothered me, man. I'm sitting there looking at these memes. Even a couple of my friends said them and it pissed me off. I was like, don't send me that stuff. You know, there, there's stuff that I saw in Afghanistan that kind of comes back. Uh, I have to live with that the rest of my life. You know, there's a reason I talk about children and, and protecting them a lot. Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be real for a minute. I don't really talk about it, but it really bothers me. Uh, we were leaving Target one time and it was a third world country. I didn't care that this little boy was an Afghan child. I really, he was a child to me. Uh, I was leaving Target and I, I looked over about 50, 60 meters and there was a grown, a grown man trying to hold back um he was doing things to this child that no child should ever have and the first thing i did is raise my rifle i put my red dot on his on his forehead and my laser and i just i i wanted to kill him and uh i couldn't i wasn't allowed by the law i wasn't allowed to do that and I just pointed at him and I just, I, I couldn't even say anything at first. And then I just screamed at him every obscenity that I could and put my laser on him. Like, I will, I will fucking kill you. And uh, then I had to leave and go and get on a helicopter and fly back and couldn't do a damn thing about it. Um, that's real life. That maybe not to that extent, but there are children that are being hurt and blown up and innocent people on a human level. I don't give a shit what country or where they're from. I mean, pray for Ukraine, pray for Russia, because I guarantee some of those troops don't want to be doing, they're doing the shit that they're doing. And uh, it, this isn't funny. This, this is not meme worthy. This isn't a joke. This isn't shit to put on Facebook and get likes. Uh, man, it's, it just really bothers me. I'm sorry. <sighs> I think that, I think that what you're talking about there is, have human empathy for what's really occurring. This is not a uh, movie. It might look a lot like movies. The footage that you're seeing on the main uh, news channels is obviously the stuff that's cleared the senses and is able to be transmitted. So you're not going to see bodies and so on. But there are people, every time you see those explosions and so on, you need to think that's in an urban area that, that there, there are people who are losing their life as that's occurring. So... You know, remember your humanity. Have a think before you you like something or reshare it and send it around. And uh, like I, I think it's I think it's super important that we maintain an awareness of what's really going down here and look for the good stories because there's certainly really really good stories here. You know, Zelensky, the Klitschko brothers, they're the they're the well known ones, but the the unity out of the West, the aid flowing in, especially the military aid, and the fight that these Ukrainians are putting up is something that we should all be aware of and we should celebrate.
Yeah. Have look at these examples. If you have children that are, you know, mature enough to understand a, a little bit better, have these conversations. Don't sit around and, you know, like time's going to tell elections are going to tell like, you know, don't sit there and just be like bashing everybody back and forth. Well, I saw on Fox, I said, like, you're wasting your time. Who gives a shit? There, there, there are real lessons to be learned about life and humanity and respect for one another and human decency. Have those conversations. They're much more valuable. They're much more important than listening to politics and news and bullshit and whatever. Like you can really relate and, you know, like Mellon, Mellon had his son watch what was going on and then had a conversation with him about why and how do you feel about this son? you know, and had that honest conversation, not, well, you know, this, if so-and-so was president, this wouldn't fucking be like, no, that's not, that's not the conversation you need to be having. So, uh, I, I highly encourage people to have those conversations. That's my challenge to everybody while you're watching this go down and whatever happens is going to happen. Uh, but be open and honest, talk about it. Uh, don't shy away from it and use your logic. Don't use your Turn the TV off. Don't bring politics into it and talk about human beings. What if that was us? What if that was the United States getting overrun? When it, who would come to help us? What if our children were, we had to hand our children off? What happens if all the males in this country had to stay and all the females and young children could leave? Who would fight? Would you fight? Would you go put on a, on a vest and, and grab a, a weapon? A lot of people say yes, man, but actions speak louder than words so yeah i think we're probably getting close to the end oh you want to jump in raf go ahead man yeah i was just gonna add because i know we're gonna wrap it up here uh i was gonna say you know mike you asked earlier you know what are some takeaways that we can we can kind of extract from what's happening and and this is i'm talking to podcast land you know even though putin is doing this in the world stage there's little Putins throughout our entire life, our daily life. And sometimes as uncomfortable as it's going to be, and I'm, I'm talking to both men and women, you might have to be that person that has to stand up and fight back against the bully. Make no mistake about it. Putin is a bully. Unfortunately for us, he's a bully who is the head of a country with an arsenal at the tip of his fingers. But there are miniature Putins all over the world, all over the United States. Everywhere you look, there's bullies, there's people that are just for whatever reason, whatever, you know, whatever's misfiring in their head, they believe that, you know, bullying and this, this aggression, unnecessary aggression is for some reason required. Well, sometimes you're going to be put in a situation where you have to be that person that has to step up. So that's a takeaway. Like literally think about that in your daily life, look around, keep seeing somebody get bullied, someone getting made fun of because maybe their still needs or they dress like a bunch of orcs or whatever it is, or maybe you're the bully. Stop for a second. And just realize that you're being just like what you're watching happening in Ukraine. You're, you're, you're letting these atrocities happen. You can only be on one of two sides, right? So I'm hoping that, um, that you pick the right side, which is the side where you're helping people flourish and under their own freedom, under their own, you know, volition and free will, as opposed to under a tyrannical government, like what, what, uh, Putin is trying to do. So I think that's a takeaway, you know, apply to your daily life. It's perfect, man. I think, I think the takeaways are have a sense of gratitude for what you have. Have a look around and think about 
you know, some of these things, the day-to-day grind that we all get bogged down with and just think about these things you already have. Imagine them not being there. Imagine them them gone. Imagine yourself living in a situation like this. Think about your own values. As Raf has just said, would you be able to demonstrate them in a similar situation? And educate yourself. Take the opportunity. Spend some time. As Mike has said, turn the, the TV news off and get online and do some research. Read some stuff. And ultimately, I just, I'd like to finish with the point that the three of us and probably many other people initially joined the military with, as young men and women with a bit of a sense of adventure and wanting to better ourselves and seeing opportunities. But ultimately, at the heart of it, it was to protect our societies from the very scenario that's unfolding in Ukraine. I know that young 17-year-old Mellon had sort of, you know, thoughts like that. And all of the rest of what we have in our society is possible when we have peace and security and there's opportunity inside that. And we all wish that we lived in a world where there was no need for a defence budget and where that money could be spent on health education. No one's going to want that more than people who've actually seen combat service. And we aspire to that, but we live in the real world and maybe we'll get there someday, but human nature is what it is. And, uh, yeah, I know that a lot of our listeners out there are veterans. There's a lot of first responders. You know, I mean, you picture a society without police, for example, and you think, okay, well, there's, there's going to be mayhem. But uh, we can all make our contribution in a small way to this uh, society that we live in and that we love. So a bit of a heavy one. It's a heavy topic, you know, and this is what's really going down in the world. And if... If uh, you're, un- you're unclear on any of the things we've been talking about, I suggest you go and uh, spend some time online and do some reading. So please let us know if you see any other great stories coming out. Some of these family reunion videos are just unbelievable to see the uh, footage or images of the leadership, any other stuff you see online you think is great, please send that in and we'll do our best to distribute it. And until next week, take care, have a look around, appreciate what you have and educate yourselves. All the best.